Okay, we're beginning a new series on Sunday mornings. Uh, It's called Being Emotionally Healthy, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Um, In some ways, it runs, I think, in in parallel with the course that Kate is talking about. Um, This is based on a book called Emotional Healthy Spirituality. Um, And I'll say more about that um, in a moment and kind of why we felt it right to do this. Um, Kind of Today, I want to kind of introduce that. And I kind of really want to start with kind of, kind of God's promises to us and why it at times just feels like kind of they elude us almost. Um, can I have the next slide up? Uh, in John 10 verse 10, Jesus says, um, come to me. I, to, Jesus tells us why he's come. He says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Um, the message puts it this way. I came so that they could have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Um, the New King James introduces kind of another phrase. I've come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Um, and kind of the verse also talks, contrasting what Jesus has come to do, kind of with the work of the enemy. And it says, the enemy comes as a thief to kill and to steal and to destroy. Um, And I'm just going to want to reflect on those verses, and particularly on the passage that Giles read for us um, a a few minutes ago. And, And I just want to ask the question, really, if Jesus came that we might have life in its all its fullness... Uh, if Jesus came that we might have life um, in all of its abundance, kind of the fullest possible life we could experience, why does it so frequently feel like we've been robbed? Um, we become a Christian. Uh, we, we put our trust in Jesus. We kind of do all the stuff that Christians are meant to do. You know, We sign up for hubs at St. Matthew's, every one of them. Kind of, we sign up for house groups, uh, we read our Bibles, we pray, um, and yet often life still feels like it's empty, it's pointless, it's dreary, um, it's anything but abundant. Um, and, and kind of, kind of part of the reason for wanting to reflect on some of these themes this term, I guess, is part of me reflecting on my own journey. Um, those of you that were with us two years ago at our church weekend, and I've talked about this before, and I guess I will probably talk about it again, because it feels to me that when I look about my kind of life journey with Jesus, it was one of the most significant things that has happened in that journey. Um, Two years ago at our church weekend, I was the one speaking on the final morning. Um, And if you were there, you will know it culminated in me having a complete meltdown. Um, I've been talking about a theme that I think has become very familiar for us as a church, and rightly so. That kind of call to continue Jesus' ministry, uh, and particularly to have the courage to dare to pray for the sick 
um, and to believe that, the, that, the, that Jesus will be as active in our lives as he was you know, when we read about him in the Gospels and through his disciples as they continued his ministry. I was talking about this kind of sense of kind of the baton being passed on from Jesus to his disciples and it being in our hands and the call being on us to continue his ministry kind of here and now. Um, and... Um, and one of the things I was trying to explore was why we find that so difficult. Why we pull back from that. Um, and, um, and, and, and for me, um, chief, chief amongst that um, is that there are so many times when we have prayed uh, and rather than seeing what we long for, um, we've been faced with disappointment. Rather than praying for people and seeing them healed we pray for people and sometimes we've seen them die and um and kind of that brings with it a sense of loss um and a sense of pain kind of it's something that we've lived through as individuals and it's something that we've lived through um as a church family um and kind of and and i and and i wanted to be kind of honest about it and i wanted to use it as a platform um to, I guess to challenge us as a church family to have the courage to, to return to that part of our discipleship. That, that even though we've been disappointed, to have the courage to keep on seeking God to work in that area. But kind of rather than challenging you, um, if you weren't there, um, I ended up melting down. I, I'm not even now really quite sure what happened but what I do know is that kind of God brought a, a massive amount of healing to me as a person. Um, that kind of I was talking about why we didn't do this because of kind of the pain of loss. And I guess what I did was tapped into my own sense of pain of loss of being with this particular church family with you guys for 20 Eight years now, I think, my maths is right, something like that. Scary. Um, and the fact that, that, you know, that over those years, there's been a lot of loss and a lot of pain. Um, I was fa fascinated that Katie mentioned love languages because I intended to mention it too. Um, uh, you may or may not be familiar with this idea that we all kind of, we, you know you need love and you know that we need to give love to others, but we experience love in different ways. And Gary Chapman talks about five different love languages. And one of the things he kind of says is that we need to be able to receive love in the way that's kind of meaningful for us. And he, and he talks about something which I think he, and I think it's Gary Chapman that says this. Those of you that know the book, nod or shake your head if I've got it wrong. He talks about having a love tank and actually the, you know, the need we need to receive love to have that love tank full for us to be secure human beings. And as I've reflected on the fact that I completely dissolved at the church weekend when I was talking about pain and why that holds us back, one of the things that I guess I realized was that just as much as you know, we have a love tank, actually we also have a pain tank that the stuff that happens in our lives, if we don't process it, gradually fills up that tank. Um, and, you know, we have to find ways of emptying that tank. Um, because if you don't empty it, 
it gets to a point when it overflows and you can no longer contain all the pain that you've been carrying that kind of comes with the business of life and disappointment and loss, the stuff that we all go through. Uh, and one of the things, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm kind of saying more about this than I intended to really. One of the things I realised was that when vicars kind of move frequently, it's a great way of emptying a tank. You don't see the same people that you've walked through bereavement with and lost with go on a weekly basis. You meet other people and you start again. It kind of un indirectly empties the tank. And what I realised for me was kind of 28 years is an awful lot of pain to put into a tank. Um, and whilst I thought I was talking to you about the fact somehow we need to move beyond this, I was probably talking to myself even more. And that's why instead of me saying, okay, guys, are you up for it? I'll be prepared to go for this again. I ended up totally kind of dissolving. And in an incredibly miraculous way, it felt like God emptied that tank for me. All that stuff that had been built up over so many years, as you gathered around me and as you prayed for me, it was like God emptied that tank and brought a measure of healing to me that I hadn't experienced um, in a very long time. Um, kind of, it was like that the thief had come into my life um, and he had robbed me of so much. Um, you know, I was surviving as a human being. Um, I was surviving as a Christian. I was only just about hanging on as a church leader. And if I reflect back, I wonder if that hadn't happened, would I be standing here with you now or would I have gone, you know? Because it, it feels like it, it had got to that point with me that that tank was so full that I'm not sure if what I would have done if I had had one more crisis kind of drop into my life and drop into that tank. I was beyond the capacity to cope with anything more. Outwardly, I don't know whether I was putting on a good appearance or not. You can tell me later what you think. Um, but inwardly, um, I was dying. And Jesus, But Jesus says, I've come that you might have life. But I, I wasn't experiencing that life. Um, the thief had robbed it. And, and I've, kind of, I've reflected on that ever since. Um, and as I said, I, I shuddered to think what would have happened. Um, kind of, if that, if kind of God hadn't intervened on that Sunday morning. Um, but I really don't recommend melting down in front of a hundred people as a way to deal with the pain that we carry. Uh, I really don't actually recommend getting to the point when you can't cope with the pain anymore. Um, and, you know, we all carry pain. Um, and actually, we all need to find ways of processing that pain. Um, of being able to be true to who we are, honest people. Not, not you know, Because the danger is that sometimes how we d try and deal with that pain is to kind of live in kind of self-denial. 
to pretend it's not happening or to kind of look for other things to kind of take the pain away, to kind of self-medicate. There's been a lot of talk about people being on painkillers uh, you know, and self-medicating those. But we self-medicate in all sorts of other ways. You can self-medicate with box sets. You know, it's escapism. It takes you away from the pain. The problem is what you do when you get to the end of the box set and the pain's still there. Well, probably you get another box set. You can self-medicate in more destructive ways than box sets. You can self-medicate with alcohol um, kind of, or with other really unhelpful behaviours. You know, how do we deal with the pain in our lives? How can we be real people with real integrity and live as healthy human beings? Um, and that's why I think what we're talking about this term is so important. Um, as I said, it's based on a book. Can we just have the next slide? Um, by a guy called Peter, I can't even pronounce his surname, Scozario, Americans have interesting names. It's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And the line underneath it, which probably you can't read, is it's impossible to be spiritually mature whilst remaining emotionally immature. And part of it is this kind of this concept that, you know, God made us as integrated human beings, body, mind, spirit, and kind of, we do God stuff on the spiritual plane, and yet it has impact for every other area of our lives. You know, how we kind of live our lives, how we treat our bodies as temples of the Holy Spirit. Our, it's about our emotions and all of that too. Um, and so kind of, I think some of the house groups are going to be looking at the material. You can get the book on Amazon, you can read along while we go through that, this term. But it comes out of this need for us to discover how we can be whole people in God and how we can process the stuff that happens in life and grow emotionally as well as spiritually with him. Okay. Um, God's made us integrated human beings. Um, we worship a God who is an emotional being. Um, he's a God who is jealous. He's a God who is angry. He's a God who has compassion. When it comes to Jesus, the shortest verse in the Bible says, Jesus wept. We are made in the image of an emotional God and he's as much interested in kind of what makes us tick as everything else. And I think one of the reasons why we've missed out on this life that God has for us is we've read our Bibles from cover to cover. We've prayed, you know, like, you know, we would, we would kind of, we would lose everything if we didn't. We've worshipped with, you know, with everything that we've got. But at times we've not opened up the stuff that's inside our emotional lives and the baggage that we carry. And we live in an age um, in which being exhausted is the norm, when battling anxiety is commonplace. Um, whether it's the big picture stuff of life that we prayed about earlier, Brexit and what's happening in our country and the wider world, um, or whether it's the, the more personal struggles that we face, our own private battles, our mental health, um, the, 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 the health of those that we love, um, our employment, our family lives, our homes. Um, yeah, all of us, in one way or another, are kind of battling with stress and we need the life that Jesus offers. And so I want to begin with those verses that Giles read. Um, John chapter 7 and verse 37 to 38. It's, this is the feast of the tabernacles. It's about as religious as Israel gets. The people are gathered together in Jerusalem um, 
And on the last day of the feast, Jesus stands up and cries out, If anyone's thirsty, let them come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of them, out of their hearts, will flow rivers of living water. Um, and, And kind of that's what Jesus wanted for them. And it's what he wants for us. Um, This feast that takes place in Jerusalem is all about looking for a time when God will pour out his spirit on his people in such a way it will be like rivers of his blessing will flow out, not just from their lives, but from the temple and the city and will change their whole nation. It's kind of part of their messianic hope. They're a nation that is broken and is looking for God to intervene. Um, and, it, and it is like they are bankrupt in every way possible. Um, they are spiritually bankrupt. It is 400 years since the last prophet spoke. There's been no word for God, from God for 400 years. Could you imagine what that's like and how desperate that is? And they come there hoping that God will visit them. Um, They are a people that are oppressed. They are ruled over by the Romans. They have no political autonomy of their own. Um, They are powerless. Um, They're desperate and they're thirsty. And in the middle of the feast, Jesus stands up and says, If you're thirsty, if, if you're thirsty, come to me. And I wish I had time to develop this more, but I want to just kind of sit this into a whole Bible picture, if you like. Um, I want to start at the beginning and I want to end at the end. Kind of makes sense. And I want to kind of put this kind of couple of verses in the context of the whole story. So we read in Genesis, in the creation account... Um, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Edom, and there he put the man that he formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And the middle of the gardens was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And a river watering the garden flowed from Eden, and from there it was separated into four headwaters and it talks about how they go on and they flow out and this is just part of that incredible picture we get at the beginning of the bible of the creation that god has made before it is marred by sin and brokenness both the brokenness of our hearts and the brokenness of this world which we now give a name to which we call global warming but kind of that's, that's where it's led to, that brokenness. And the picture we have is a picture of abundance. And the middle of it is a river that is going to flow out of Eden and bring the blessing of Eden to the rest of the world. And kind of that's what God purposes when he creates. Something that is about abundant life. So that's the beginning. Come with me to the end. Go to the next slide. This is Revelation. This is John's vision of what it's going to be like when God restores everything. 
And he says, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city, on, city, on, 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 on the side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Um, and kind of this is about what it's going to be like when God restores creation. Um, and in that feast, they would have taken golden pitchers of water and they would have poured them in a hole in the temple that would have flowed down and out from the temple, the place of the presence of God, out of the city. And it was a symbolic picture of kind of longing for this to happen. And kind of, and, you know, John sees this vision where there is going to be enough water to bring life to everyone. Where there is going to be a fruitfulness that will be not as it was in the beginning, but will be even more. And so in between these bookends, Jesus stands up in the temple and says, if you want that sort of life, if you want that sort of abundance, if you want that river of blessing that will bring life to you, then it comes from me. Come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, the scriptures say, out of his heart will flow streams um, of living waters. Um, and um, kind of where do they flow from? Where do those streams flow from? Out of our hearts. Out of our hearts. Out of the seat of our being. Out of our very being. That's how transformational what Jesus wants to do in our lives. It's going to come from him, but it comes to us. And it comes out of our hearts. Uh, uh, and, uh, and this morning, I just really want to say that this is all about the heart. You know, what was, what was, what was wrong with the, your vicar before kind of I melted down? Basically, my heart was breaking and I couldn't take any more pain. You know, what is your heart like today? You know, how is your heart? And I just can't stress, it seems to me that there is a battle for our hearts. I couldn't contain any more pain in my heart. But this is all about having our hearts transformed. Proverbs says, thanks Hannah, above all things, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. Kind of our hearts are how kind of we connect with God. Our emotions are not secondary. Some of us kind of grew up with, um, do, you remember, do, you remember, do you remember kind of these pictures of old fashioned steam trains with a tender? Um, and we kind of grew up with this kind of model of Christianity that the train was like the facts of the gospel. Um, and the tender, which has all the coal in, was our faith. And then you had the rest of the train that followed on behind. Uh, and that was our feelings. And I can remember distinctly as a young Christian being told, you know, what you need are the facts of the gospel and you need the faith. And if you've got that, it's great. And the feelings will flow along behind. 
And I kind of think that whole attitude to another Christianity, actually it separates us out into different parts rather than sees us as integrated human beings, which are rational beings, it involves our minds, but we are also emotional beings and it involves our hearts. And that matters just as much, one matters just as much as the other. Guard your hearts for it's the wellspring of life. Um, It's where God's spirit flows. That's why it matters. Um, That's why we need to be attentive to our inner worlds. What's the state of your heart? Yeah, and... Yeah, I'm not just talking about the event from from experience from the events of two years ago. Yeah, as you know, we're facing loss at the moment. And I know it matters what I do with the pain that comes with this particular loss to avoid filling that tank up again. Kind of what's the stuff that's going on in your lives? Kind of what's your love tank like? What's your pain tank like? What's your heart like? Because in a way, that's where the two are connected. Um, We're talking about salvation in its truest and its fullest sense. The word sozo, which is the word we translate as salvation, um, in the New Testament is all about our sins being forgiven. When Jesus talks to people and says, your sins are forgiven, the word that he frequently used, is used 50 odd times in the New Testament, is the Greek word sozo. But also, when, um, when Jesus sees someone that's oppressed by something that's demonic, and he sets them free from it, he uses the same word sozo. Or when he sees someone that's sick, that needs healing, he uses the same word sozo. Um, you know, we, we kind of, we think about salvation, uh, about being our relationship with God and it being restored through Jesus and the cross. And that is absolutely right. That's salvation in its truest sense. But if we don't see it also about our emotions and our feelings and our lives being transformed and being restored, we're missing out on it in its fullest sense. For Jesus, it's about all of our beings, not just a part of our beings. Um, Now, you're now going to get worried. Don't panic. This is meant to be the halfway point in the talk. I've spared you the other half. Don't worry. Um, I suddenly realised I had two talks, not one talk. So that's the end of the first talk. Rather than giving you the second talk... I'm going to give you some homework. Homework or another half hour. (laughs) Choice is yours. Now, what do you do when your children say they've got homework? Do you... Okay, okay. No, no, no. I'll take that back. I'll take that back. I'm obviously stirring up unhelpful memories. You're delighted, aren't you? And you really want to help them do it. Good. That's, That's the idea. Your homework is go away... And read the parable of the sower. What? It's a bit random. What's that got to do about anyone's heart? Go and read the parable of the sower. And read about why Jesus teaches through parables. 
And then read how he explains to his disciples the parable um, of the sower. Um, And I know you know it well. You're probably saying to me, I don't really need to read that, Chris. I know it off by heart, you know. Um, Take time to think about it in terms of your heart. Hang on. What's the parable of the sower got to do with anybody's heart? Let me give you a clue. Read Jesus' explanation when he talks about the path. He says, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown into the heart. Into the heart. So kind of, you know, what we have here is the picture of the different states of people's hearts. You know, sometimes our hearts are like a path and, it's, and, and the seed is, is stolen from it. Um, it's like our hearts are, have been hardened. And life does that to us, doesn't it? Um, sometimes, you know, then there's the shallow ground. You know, the roots go down, but there's no moisture and they dry out. Sometimes, actually, we can be really shallow about stuff in life. Is there depth to our life? Is there depth to how we deal with stuff in our lives? Or have we got shallow hearts? And then there's the, 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 the seed that grows up amongst the thorns and it's strangled on. Sometimes our hearts are cluttered. They're so full of so many different things. Actually, there's not time to deal with what's important. So read the parable of the sower and meditate on it. And meditate on your heart. Ask God to show you what your heart's like. Um, And I'm just going to finish with a couple of quotes. Just two. Um, The first one comes from Pete Hughes. And he's talking about this parable of the sower. And he says, fruitfulness in the kingdom of God is dependent on the receptivity and the health of our hearts. What's our heart like? Are we receiving God's word? Is it healthy? And then for someone somewhat kind of more distinguished um, than Pete Hughes, John Christeston, Archbishop of Constantinople a very long time ago. Find the door of your heart. You will discover it's the door to the kingdom of God. So how well do we know ourselves? Do we know our hearts? What's the state of your heart today? Let's just, um, let's take a moment to be quiet. And I just really want to pray for all of us. that God will be in the business about bringing revelation to us about what our hearts are like.